rescue team, and you've just pulled up to the deck of the Titanic starting to go down. You run on board, ship is tilting, and you start running through cabins trying to find somebody to help, somebody to save, somebody to get on your rescue ship and get you get them out of there so they can be safe. You go to cabin after cabin, and finally you see one, and there's a man in there laying on his bunk. And you say, come on, we've got to go. The ship's going down. And he says, ignoring everything you've just said, says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've been waiting for you. You know, I was just about to order room service. I was uh, kind of looking forward to a nice steak. and, And you're going, what is wrong with this guy? Come on, we need to go. And he ignores you again, and he says... Uh, By the way, could you rearrange my bed? And I'm not sure I really like this room. I'd like one with a little different wallpaper. I'd like, I could be a little more comfortable here. And, you know, the way the ship is tilting right now kind of is giving me a headache. So maybe you could give me some extra pillows I could prop up to level myself out and maybe an aspirin to help me with my headache. And how would you feel? You'd be frustrated, right? You'd feel like, what in the world is wrong with this person? I'm here to rescue you. And you want an aspirin? I'm afraid Jesus must feel that way often with us. You see, he came for a reason. To rescue us from our sin. To set us free. But too often, I think we approach him from a sense that, well, Jesus is here to make my life, my room, a little more comfortable. And that's what he's all about. I have to confess, when I came to Christ... I came because I saw some things in people's lives that I desperately wanted. So I committed my life to Christ, but with an agenda that Jesus was now going to make my life better. And some wonderful things happened, and I'm very thankful for, for how it did make my life better. And yet, I began to see over time that he had a different agenda. That his agenda was truly to rescue me from my own self-dependence, my own arrogant self-dependence, so that I could truly be His. You see, the disciples in the New Testament, as Jesus was ending His life, near the end of His life now, as we continue in our study of Luke, had the same problem. They misunderstood what Jesus came for. They misunderstood what his agenda was. And so this morning, we'll look at a couple of incidents, a couple of characters, marvelous characters, I think, in the New Testament, that Jesus chose to reach out to and minister to show his disciples and his followers why he really came. It wasn't just to make their lives more comfortable. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 18... We'll be looking at 1835 through 1910. But I want to read the verses immediately before and after our section to show you the context here. At the, in verse 31 of chapter 18, it says, Jesus took the twelve aside and then described to them that they would soon be in Jerusalem. You need to realize this is one week before Jesus was crucified. They're on their way from Jericho at this point to Jerusalem, one week, 17 miles. 
from Jerusalem, from the cross. And Jesus wants them to understand why he came. And notice he describes what he will he will be delivered over. They'll scourge him. They will kill him. And notice verse 34. He's described all this. He's trying to get them to understand. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them. And they didn't comprehend the things that were said. Three different ways it said they didn't get it. <laughs> they really were, as Chris said last week, clueless. They had no idea. And then over in 1911, after our two incidents, it says, while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they, includes the disciples, I believe it includes everybody who was listening, they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. You see, they believed that Jesus was Messiah. They declared that earlier. Yes, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. But their agenda for what they had thought the Messiah was going to do was not Jesus' agenda. And here he is, one week from crucifixion, and they still think, The kingdom is coming immediately. You see, to the Jews, they were living under the Roman rule at that point. They hated the Roman oppressors that forced them to pay taxes, that forced them to carry their bags, that dominated their religion, that didn't give them any freedoms at all in their personal lives. And their agenda was, Jesus, you're Messiah, and you are going to come set up a kingdom now, get rid of the Romans... And make our lives better. Make our rooms more comfortable. Right, Jesus? So he introduces us to two characters in the area of Jericho, the town of Jericho, in this passage to help us understand why he came. So let's look at these two characters and realize... That why Jesus came was not to make our rooms more comfortable, but ultimately he came as part of a search and rescue mission to set us free from our own sin, from our own self-dependence, from the disaster and the ruin we've made of our own lives. So let's look at these two, starting with Bartimaeus, the blind man, in verse 35 of chapter 18. Let me read his story to you. And it came about that as he was approaching Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out, And the sense is there, he kept crying out over and over and over, all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he had come near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise 
to God. Jesus comes into the town of Jericho. He's coming near it. The town of Jericho was a beautiful city in those days. It had been built by Herod the Great, a new city. There had been an old city, but he built a whole new city that was glorious. It was a place where many rich people dwelt. It was a place that had more priests than any town in the whole nation of Israel next to Jerusalem itself. So it was a very religious place. Strong synagogues. uh, a A wonderful spot. With many people whom Jesus could have chosen to minister to. And yet when he heard this blind man crying out, Jesus chose to minister to this blind man. Let's think a little bit about who this was. His name is Bartimaeus, we are told in the parallel passage in Mark, not in this one. Bartimaeus, who it says cried out that he might regain his sight, which means at some point he lost his sight. He was a victim probably of a disease. We don't know. He could have, there's other ways people can lose their sight, but that would have been typical in his day, all the diseases that were rampant. And so he was a victim of that. And when you became blind in that culture, you were utterly lost. You had nothing you could do with your life. They didn't have all the things we have today in ways of communicating and, and uh, guide dogs, etc., All he could do was sit by the side of the road and beg and hopefully get enough food to survive. To his society, he was nothing but a reject. He had a hopeless kind of life because of the circumstances that had happened to him and somehow blinded him. He was a victim of the circumstances of life, of living in a fallen world, of perhaps other people's sins sins against him. He certainly was rejected by his culture. He was a nobody, forced to beg. And as you think about your own life this morning, maybe you fit into a similar category. Maybe you're not physically blind, but maybe you really feel that you are a victim of circumstances as well. Maybe in your life, you've led a very difficult, struggling, hard life. Maybe your family rejected you in various ways. Maybe you suffered all kinds of difficult abuse in your background. Maybe you've struggled being a victim, victim of terrible trauma. Maybe you really are handicapped in some way, physically. Maybe you feel handicapped emotionally. Maybe your life is one in which you feel unwanted, a hopeless victim with nowhere to go. And all you can do is basically sit by the road and beg. Hope that somebody shows you some favor. Some of you I know are in that category. And the friends I've known that have been like that, it's, it's easy for them to fall into a kind of self-pity and a bitterness and an anger that say, why did this happen to me? Why is my life such a mess? Why couldn't it have been like so-and-so? You may be there this morning. If so, the story of Bartimaeus is for you. Because Jesus ends this whole section. I'll read it now and we'll come back to it later. In verse 10 of chapter 19, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
to seek and to save. Search and rescue. (laughs) That's why Jesus came for those who are lost. And maybe you are like Bartimaeus. But notice some things about him. Though he's helpless, though he's dependent on other people, though he's a victim of circumstances beyond his control, it's interesting to me as he's sitting there by the road, imagine this, sitting by the road, the dust choking in the dust. There was a big crowds moving back and forth on this major highway because it was the main highway from up north towards Jerusalem and from the east across the Jordan River to Jerusalem. And so many people were coming and going. And plus, this was the season of the Passover. So many people, including Jesus himself, were moving towards Jerusalem for that great feast. He's sitting there. The crowds are coming. They're loud. He's saying, alms for the poor. Suddenly he hears an unusually loud crowd coming. He says, who is this? What's going on? Somebody says, oh, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And notice his response. He doesn't say, Jesus, son of, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David. Son of David is a messianic title. He saw Jesus as the Messiah. I don't know why. He hadn't had any contact with him ever before, but something that he'd heard about Jesus and who he was, he believed that Jesus truly was the Messiah. So as soon as he heard he was coming, he began crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, the crowd said, Shh, be quiet. You're a nobody. Jesus doesn't want you. There's important people here. Be quiet. You're going to bother him. And he doesn't say, oh, yeah, fine. It says he was persistent. And he kept crying out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he began yelling and yelling and crying out for mercy, trying to drown out the crowd so Jesus would hear him. And finally, Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. It's intriguing to me that Jesus didn't go to him all the way, but he had him brought to him. In some sense, we still have to come to him when he walks by. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to regain my sight. All he had to bring to Jesus was his own need. (laughs) That's all he had. His own lostness, his own being a victim, and a persistent faith in who Jesus was. And the world saw him as a total nuisance and is crying out as nothing but a bother. And Jesus saw his crying out as faith. Jesus saw his crying out for help as faith. And he rewarded that faith by healing him, removing his blindness. Now, we've all been victims of difficult times, and we probably have cried out to the Lord, asking him to change our circumstances, to make them better. And as we all know, Jesus doesn't always choose to do that. He doesn't always choose to remove the specific problem that we ask him to. 
But you can't come in contact with Jesus and not be changed. And I think that's the message of this story. If you truly come in contact with him and pursue him, he will change you. First of all and foremost, he will remove the blinders from your eyes so you can begin to see spiritual reality. Begin to see what's really happening and understand what is to come. And he does promise to heal us someday. And as you begin to walk close to him and come close to him and see the promises he's given you, then suddenly you can say with Paul that these momentary light afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. But that comes, your eyes are open spiritually as you move near to Jesus, as you come to Him when He calls. He'll open your eyes spiritually and He will move you in your heart as He did with Bartimaeus, verse 43, to follow Him, to glorify Him. And ultimately, to minister to others. Notice it says, when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. You see, Bartimaeus, this nobody on the street, Jesus transformed into one where everybody looked at it instead of saying, you're a nuisance, get out of here, to look what God has done in his life. And they began praising God and glorifying God, the whole crowd, as they saw what had happened in this man's life. This rejects life. I have a good friend who, when I first got to know her, she was such a complainer. <laughs> and she'd had a rough life. In fact, if I told you the story of her life, you'd be appalled. But as time has gone on and I've just watched the Lord work in her life, it's been exciting. Because she's moved from being this complainer that, oh, I'm a victim. Life's been so hard to me. Just throw me some alms. Let me feel a little better. Make my room a little more comfortable. To one who has given her heart to the Lord in a way where she's been able to move beyond her bitterness and her anger to a place where she now leads a discipleship group, has a marvelous ministry in their lives, and has a teaching ministry as well. And I just praise God as I've seen what God has done in her life. And you know what? Her circumstances aren't any better. But her heart's been changed because when the Savior called, she came into His presence and let Him change her. Jesus came, we're told here, <laughs> to form a search and rescue party for those who are victims of circumstances. You don't have to be trapped in your anger and bitterness. He came for you. He wants you to follow Him. He wants to set you free from the things that are keeping you from being all you could be. Well, that's one character. The second character we meet is Zacchaeus the wee little man, and frankly, I'm really glad to be preaching on it because that song's been running through my head all week. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So I'm excited to be, sing to be preaching on it now. And Let's read the story of Zacchaeus and see again the movement of God as he came for the lost. 
chapter 19, 1 through 10. And he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him with joy. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice the first thing we learn about Zacchaeus is his name. There was a certain man called Zacchaeus. That name Zacchaeus means pure one or righteous one, which tells me that his parents chose that kind of name for a reason. They had high hopes for this man Zacchaeus. He must have been raised in a very religious home. Names in that day were very significant. They were chosen because that was your desire and hope for that particular person. And they named him Zacchaeus with the idea that he would be a righteous one, a pure one. But as we see next about him, he was a chief tax collector. Now, you've heard some about the tax collectors of the day. Let me remind you, the tax collectors in Jesus' day were the bottom of the barrel. They were the scum of society. The only ones that were ever mentioned along with them were the prostitutes of the day. They were considered such rejects, the bottom of the barrel, because they were ones who had turned against their nation, their families, their religion, their God, their friends, their culture for the sake of money. You see, to be a tax collector meant... You were in cahoots with the Romans. And of course, the Jews hated the Romans. They were under their oppression. In fact, 40 years after this day, the Jews rebelled against the Romans' oppressors because they couldn't stand them any longer. And at this point, Zacchaeus has said, I'd rather be rich than support my nation I don't care if people reject me. Money's more important to me than anything else. I will reject my God. I will reject my family who wanted me to be righteous. And I will go into cahoots with the Romans. And the tax collectors, what they did is they would collect money from the people, but they would always collect more than the Romans asked for. And they would tax anything. They would make up taxes. Oh, if you're going to cross this bridge, then you have to pay me this amount of tax. Well, they would always pocket a big part of that for themselves so that they could be rich. And of course, all the other Jews said, for, for one, they hated them because they were a constant reminder that they were having to pay taxes to these terrible Roman oppressors. But secondly, they hated them because they were cheating them all the time. They were cheats, they were traitors, and they were liars. And that's what 
Zacchaeus was. In fact, he was a chief tax collector, which meant he had a number of men under him collecting taxes, and he pocketed most of what they skimmed off the top. You see, he had chosen money above everything else. He'd walked away from his family, his nation, and everything. We don't know where he did that. We don't know what happened in his life. But Zacchaeus was one who was a victim, if you want to call it a victim, of his own sinfulness. He was a sinner, an outright sinful man. Some of you are in that category. Bartimaeus was one who was a victim of circumstances. Jesus came to rescue him. Zacchaeus was one who turned his back on God and on goodness and on his nation. And God came to rescue him as well. An outright sinner. Some of you feel that way, that your life is somehow lost and ruined because of the sinful choices you've made in your life. That somehow there's no way that life could ever get better, that God could ever really use you because you've made two terrible of choices in your life. You've walked away from him one too many times. There's nothing he can do for you. Notice how the Lord responds to Zacchaeus. Verse 3, you see, he was trying to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus wanted to see him. That's the next thing we find out about Zacchaeus was that he was trying to see Jesus. He heard Jesus was coming. He wanted to see, but he's short. He's probably under five feet tall, we would guess, uh, because in that culture, uh, that would have been short in his day. And you can just picture him. Verse 3, it says he's trying to see Jesus. Means The sense there is that it was a constant attempt. He was trying to get through the crowd, and the people were pushing him away. Oh, it's you. Get out of here. Jesus doesn't want to see you. And they wouldn't let him in, elbow him out of the way. He kept trying, kept trying, couldn't get through the crowd. And finally he says, aha, I'll run ahead and I'll climb a tree. <laughs> and at least then I'll be able to see Jesus from above. Nobody can push me out of the way then. He was persistent. There was something in him, in all his lostness, that said, I have to get next to Jesus. I have to see this man. We don't know what it was. We're not told. But some deep sense of need, it seems. And Jesus came to the place, verse 5. He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry up and get down here. Now, it's intriguing to me. I ask myself, how did he know Zacchaeus' name? He was God. He could have just known it by some some act of God informing him. But you know what I suspect, though the text doesn't say this, I suspect that as Zacchaeus climbed the tree and the crowd came up, they saw him up there and they started laughing. And they said, oh, look at Zacchaeus, that fat old tax collector. Look at him <laughs> climbing the tree. What's he doing up there? I hope all the gold that's mostly mine in his pockets makes him fall out on his head so he breaks his neck. That's my guess how Jesus knew. As the crowd mocks, they rejected him. They wouldn't let him in the crowd. Now they're laughing at him. Jesus walks underneath him and says, Zacchaeus, I want to be with you. I want to stay at your house.
tonight. Do you know how radical that was? This was Jericho, a wealthy city with lots of priests and lots of religious people that would have been ideal for Jesus to stay with. And out of all the people that he could have pointed to, out of all the people he could have said, I want to stay at your house, he chose specifically probably the worst sinner he could have chosen, Zacchaeus, and said, I want to stay at your house. And this touched Zacchaeus in such a way that I love his response. He hurried and came down and received him with joy, gladly, with rejoicing. And all the crowds gather, grumbling, and they're saying, why would Jesus want anything to do with him, this wretched sinner, this lost person? And Zacchaeus, touched by the grace of God in a way that moved him incredibly, not only is moved to joy, but in verse 8 it says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. Now remember, money had been his God. He'd rejected everything else just to get rich. He'd rejected God to get rich. But when touched by the grace of God that Jesus wanted to be with him, He says, half of everything I have, I'll give to the poor. He was moved to generosity. He was freed from what had enslaved him all those years. You see, when Jesus truly touches the life, you're set free. doesn't mean he never struggled, I'm sure, with covetousness again. But there was a, a freeing for him that the grace of God had set him free from what had enslaved him. And there was a desire to share that grace with others. A desire to step out and say, Hey, I want to bless others with how Jesus has blessed me with the money. And then he says, If I have defrauded anyone of anything. Now the sense of that isn't, Well, if there's anybody I might have cheated, you know, I'll I'll be glad to pay back fourfold. That's not the sense at all. The sense of this is, All of you whom I've cheated, I'll pay back fourfold. I have cheated you. I know I have. And I will make it right. You see, when the grace of God has touched you as a sinner, there's a zeal in your life to make it right. And not just make it right, not just give back exactly what you should, but to give back an overabundance to make sure that it is right. I love watching God work in someone's life when they've been touched by His grace and they they just have a freedom from what's bound them for so long. According to the law, if you've cheated anyone in the Old Testament, the Jewish law, the maximum penalty for cheating someone was you had to pay back double for what you stole. I'm sure Zacchaeus knew that law. But his response is, no, I want to give back four times as much. I want to make absolutely certain that people know the grace of God has touched my life. I want to be absolutely free of the sin that has bound me for so long. What freedom there is when you've been touched by the grace of God, when you've seen Jesus and you realize you as a sinner are one that he wants to lodge with. Zacchaeus is a picture of true repentance. 
repentance that says, I want to make it right. I have a zeal to make sure that everything is corrected in my life. And Jesus is moved to say, today salvation has come to this house. He too is a son of Abraham. Traveled to Israel a couple of years ago. Took a tour of, of a botanical gardens. And uh, they said, yeah, that's a sycamore tree over there. And he said, the guide said, the sycamore tree has a nickname here in Israel. We call it the rehabilitation tree. It's because when you cut it down to nothing, just a little stump, so there's nothing left, there's no life, and you think nothing good can come from that, it will begin to sprout. And it will come back. And there will be life that will come from a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus is a picture of that sycamore tree. And maybe your life is too. Maybe you feel like you're nothing but a stump. You've walked away from God one too many times. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came for you. Whether you're a victim of circumstances and you feel that I've been traumatized too much. God can't use me. God can't change me. You're wrong. He came for you. Or that you've sinned too badly and you're beyond hope. Wrong. He came for you. Cling to Him. He wants to touch your life in a way that will set you free. If you're in either of those categories, turn to Him. Know that He loves you. But maybe you are in a different category. Maybe you're in a category like me where you tend to feel like, well, I'm a pretty good person. It's kind of like the Pharisees that Jesus has been confronting. (laughs) The rich young ruler, Chris talked about last week, who said, I'm a pretty good guy. I've kept all these rules. And Jesus said, one thing you lack. Jesus went to the heart of the matter. You see, many of us feel like we're pretty good people. We're not really lost. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you came for all those lost people. The biblical truth is every one of us is lost. Every one of us desperately needs his touch, his grace, every moment of every day, no matter how long you've known him. We need him every moment. And if you're like me, where you struggle to see your own lostness at times, where you're self-dependent, my plea to you is that you fall on your knees before Him and cry out for Him to reveal your own blindness and cry out for mercy before Him. Lord, I desperately need Your touch. I need Your mercy every moment of every day. Open my eyes to the truth of that, Lord. And to all of us, I would say this morning, Jesus' heart, the reason He came was to form a search and rescue party. (laughs) And He's asking every one of us to be part of it. He's asking every one of us to join with Him in looking for the lost, those who know their need. That's the only requirement, that you know your need for Him. And He says, will you join me 
to seek and to save the lost. Will you take on my heart to bring reconciliation to the world? I love the picture that's given in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us that ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. As God entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He wants you to be part of that. He came to seek the lost. I was excited that we introduced the grants this morning. Our new missions pastor, Brian, who have a heart for the lost. How appropriate. I encourage you to look for ways that though that God wants to reach those nuisances that you work with, those rejects that you run into on the street, the people that are so lost that God wants to reach through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you for being willing to reach out to us, to call out to us, to come to you. Thank you that you want to lodge with us, to dwell with us, to be with us. Lord, if there's anyone here who, who truly is feeling lost, may they recognize your call, come to you and find the freedom of glorifying you as your grace touches their lives. And for those of us who struggle to see our lostness, Lord, reveal it to us. How we need you every day, every moment. Thank you that you too are calling out to us to cling to you, to depend on you, to find life moment by moment in you. And may we have compassion on the lost. May we see that people truly need you. And may you use us to bring your grace to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.